for many Christians in the season of Advent and Christmas, it's the season when the Virgin Mary sort of comes in for her close-up. Um, she is mentioned and thought of and sung about and portrayed uh, more than any other time of the year, really. Uh, we hear about her in music. We see her take the form of little girls and older young women in Christmas pageants. Um, she's even used for a tastefully appointed holiday stamp. We see her all over the place. But especially for more Protestant Christians, sometimes once the decorations are put away, once the nativity scene or creche goes back into boxes, um, so does any thought of Mary. Roman Catholics sometimes can go the other extreme. They tend to make more room for Mary, but every once in a while, religious practice can give way to superstition, and so Mary becomes a caricature, a sort of magical presence, a good luck charm, um, the nice goddess as opposed to the angry god, which is not Christian theology either. As you might guess, as Anglicans, as people of the Episcopal Church, uh, we seek a middle way in most things. And I think we do that around various theology and thinking and belief having to do with the Virgin Mary. We are a little bit ambivalent about her. We mention her from time to time. We have in our churches sometimes statues or images of her. But what does she matter for our understanding of Jesus Christ? What does the Virgin Mary matter for our own faith? Does God mind if we don't pay much attention to her? Well, I think she does matter, and I think God does mind. Um, she matters a lot for our relationship with Jesus Christ, and I think God minds Mary literally, in that Mary has come from the mind of God and continues in the mind of God from the very beginning until the very end. And today's scriptures provide a few pointers as, as to how all of this unfolds. In our first lesson from Second Samuel, there's a lot of restlessness. Uh, King David is in his new house, and so he thinks it's proper, or maybe it'll help his conscience, to have a new house for God as well. David wants to build a proper temple for God. He says, here I am living in a great house of cedar, but the Lord God, creator of the universe, ruler of heaven and earth, has to camp out in a tent. And indeed, this is the way God has chosen to be, to move among God's people since the very beginning. Symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant, that chest containing the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments and some other sacred objects. Um, that chest, that, that um, wooden thing, the Ark of the Covenant, would be taken around with God's people wherever they went. But God doesn't want a house, as we hear from God in today's scripture. Not yet, anyway. God isn't ready. God says, no, David, I've got something else in mind. I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this very day. Instead, I've been moving around in a tent and a tabernacle. Instead, God says, I will make you a house. I'll make you into being a dwelling that will last forever. 
the word that comes out of Scripture and is translated so often as tabernacle, can mean a couple of different things. It can mean dwelling, like the place where God dwells. It can mean residence, like where God resides or where we might reside. Later on, when King Solomon does build a house for God, a temple, the tabernacle is a special part of the temple, that holiest of holy places where God is thought to abide in a special way. And in fact, to this day, many churches and cathedrals have a kind of holy of holies, a tabernacle. In our church, it's called an ombre. It's that little cupboard over there on your right where there's a candle in a red glass holder that's burning. Um, the ombre or the little cupboard is where we reserve the blessed sacrament. And so basically we, we make extra. <laughs> and so there is, is extra bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ, kept in the holy cupboard during the week. And so if, if one of us needs to visit someone in the hospital or if there's an emergency, we can serve from the reserved sacrament. But since the Middle Ages, it's also a place of special significance for many. And that's why the tabernacle candle burns there, the sanctuary candle. It reminds us that Christ is present in a real way in the holy sacrament of his body and blood. But that's not the only place where Christ pitches a tent. It's a dwelling place for God, but it's not the only one. Because God has made God's promise true that God will create a dwelling place that lasts, for, lasts forever. We can see from God's conversation with King David that God has a special place in mind. From the very beginning, uh, people thought then and sometimes now that God means a physical place, um, a building or a city, or some politicians think a country should be a special place where God resides. But God doesn't want or need any of that. God means a person. God has Mary in mind as a tabernacle, as an ark, as a dwelling place, as a home from which other homes will also be born. It was especially uh, patristic scholars and theologians who, who pointed out that the Virgin Mary suggests that God had Mary in mind since even the Garden of Eden. If you've been coming to our Advent Bible studies, then you're ahead of the game on this because we looked at some of these, these scriptures and talked about typology with Old and New Testament just as Adam and Eve represent all of us at our very best and at our most pure, they also represent us at our very worst when we're tricked and when we stumble and fall. Whether it's by pride or lust or greed or anything else, we have that same tendency to stumble and to fall. And so we fall with Adam and Eve right out of the garden but Jesus, especially in the scripture and theology of Paul, is a new Adam, a kind of redo and remade for Adam and all humanity, a chance to get things right this time. Jesus is the new Adam and Mary is the new Eve. As the old Eve says no to God, I'll go my own way, thank you very much. The new Eve, Mary says yes. Here I am, let it be according to your word. 
that fruit of the garden uh, becomes known as an apple. And we'll hear a carol or an anthem later that talks about Jesus Christ as the apple tree because he comes from the fruit of the womb of the Virgin Mary. It's the fruit that gets right what was gone wrong with that earlier fruit in the Garden of Eden. Karl Barth was perhaps the greatest Reformed theologian of the 20th century, and he was certainly not Roman Catholic in his piety or in his practice. And yet he had a very high regard for the Virgin Mary. He wrote about Mary as a moment, a moment in time, a moment in history, when the slate is cleared, when sin is cast aside, when, when she and we are made holy by grace and ready to receive God's presence, God's incarnation. Bart wrote of Mary as that moment when God brings all these things together for us, And that moment is then extended and reflected upon in today's gospel and even into our own lives. God chooses Mary as the new temple, the new place to be born, to live and to grow. This happens not so that Jesus can simply be a good guy, um, teach and preach for a few years, heal a few, and then die a criminal's death on the cross. Instead, God moves through that cross and brings Jesus to new life. He continues the story of salvation through the power of the cross. And so the cross redeems even Adam and Eve. The cross raises Jesus and redeems Mary, the new Eve. And in so doing, the cross creates a new way of life for us. Some of you may be a little like me and and cringe at that old phrase of accepting Jesus in your heart. I hear Southern evangelicals with judgment and hellfire damnation in my mind. Um, But really our faith comes down to that, doesn't it? Accepting Jesus in our hearts is what it's all about. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about allowing God to be born in each one of us. Becoming a Christian involves allowing God to make a home in our heart, a dwelling place to camp with us and be with us wherever we go. Not only is there a way made for us to live eternally, but but also here in this life, we're made more than we would be otherwise. By allowing God to live in us, our hearts grow larger and more generous. Fear falls away and we grow in faith. We grow in forgiveness. We grow in acceptance. We grow in mercy. We grow in God. The good news of this day and this season is that God had Mary in mind from the very beginning. From the beginning, through the wisdom literature, with the prophets, in exile and deliverance, through the gospel, even on Calvary and into Easter Day. But the even better good news is that God had and has us in mind as well. We're not accidents. We did not just happen. Since the beginning of time, God has imagined you and desired you and loved you. God wants to be born anew in you and in me and in all the world that the angels might even have more to sing about. Way back in the 5th century, St. Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, uh, wrote about the Gospel of Luke, and he urges us to let Mary's soul be in each of you to proclaim the greatness of the Lord. Let her spirit be in each to rejoice in the Lord. 
Christ has only one mother in the flesh, but we all bring forth Christ in faith. Every soul receives the word of God. Ambrose says, our soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, just as Mary's soul magnified the Lord and her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. Christians the world over often refer to Mary as full of grace, but the Blessed Virgin Mary is full of grace so that we too might be full of grace. Mary is blessed so that we might be blessed. Mary is made holy to show us the way to be made holy. And thanks be to God that just as God had Mary in mind, God has had us in mind as well. May our hearts grow larger to receive Christ anew this Christmas and always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.